Morning, everyone. How are we doing? Oh, there's a good, good morning, and then the uh, how are we doing bit was a was a little bit more less uh, a less certain. Just to um, just to bring a little bit of clarity, Santino said we've got Adrian Holloway with us on um, I think it was the seventh of November. That bit is right, but it's actually an equipping morning for us as a church. So he won't be preaching the gospel. He'll be teaching us how to share our faith. So um, you can bring guests along to it if you want. Um, it, may not be di- it won't be directed specifically at them. Um, it might be best to invite them to the baptisms or, or something like that. Oh, it's great to worship God. Really, really good. Um, my name is Paul. I'm one of the pastors here at King's Church Hastings and it's my privilege to lead the team. Over the last few weeks, we've been, or I've been looking at the book of Ephesians, and this morning we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 3, starting at verse 14, and we're going to go through into Ephesians chapter 4, verse 6, depending on how it goes. We sort of see how, how it works out as we have a look um, at these things. The, the verses I'm going to look at are verses that have always intrigued me. Ever since I was a little Christian, they've always intrigued me. I've always wondered quite, what do they mean? And as we read them, I want to ask you to ask that question yourself. What, what do they mean? What is the writer, the Apostle Paul, trying to communicate to the church at Ephesus when he wrote these things. Because it's very easy to read the Bible and not to ask that question what it means, just to let it sort of soak over us, flow over us. And if you're anything like me, you can read the Bible in the morning and uh, you read a couple of chapters, you get up and go and have breakfast and you can't quite remember what you read. This morning we're going to spend a good bit of time um, looking at this and asking the Holy Spirit to come and help us make this live in our hearts. I thought Claire's song in particular that she sung about seeking me. God saying, seek me and you will find me. Knock on the door, it's open. And I, I feel very much that's in line with what I want to preach on this morning about us coming with an expectation to encounter God. Because our Christian faith isn't, isn't just about words, it's not just about knowledge or, or, or understanding more and more about the Bible or more and more about church and Christianity. It's about relationship. It's about encountering and knowing God. It's about us meeting with God in real and tangible ways. In Ephesians it says that we are seated with him in heavenly places and in the verses we're going to look at it talks about God dwelling in our hearts, Christ dwelling in our hearts through faith, that we would know God's power at work in our lives by the Spirit. And we're going to be looking at some of these things. If we get into chapter 4, which we may not do, I must admit I'm not full of much faith for this, I must say, that we'll actually make it through into chapter 4. 
But if we do, we then find that there is a change in what the Apostle is writing about. The writer, to start with, he's he's, he's praying a prayer for the church, but then in chapter 4, it changes from a prayer to an exhortation. It's practical instruction to the church. And I believe the reason these two things are linked together is because what happens in here comes out. What's going on in your heart in the end will come out of your mouth by what you speak and comes out of your hands in the way you act towards people. And that's why I've put at the top, if you've got your notes there um, in your update, it talks about love in and love out. And it talks from head to heart to hands. And my aim this morning really is that some of the things you know in your head, and we're going to touch on those again, would transfer to your heart and will have an effect in your heart and what happens in your heart gets seen in what you do and how you act. There's sort of an overflow each time. And so that's what we're going to be looking at. Let's have a look at the verses and we see how we get on. The words will come up behind me um, if you haven't got your Bible with you. So it's Ephesians chapter 3, starting at verse 14. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family, in heaven and on earth, derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle, Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Lord, I pray this morning, would you come with great power I pray would you please come and assist me as I preach. I pray please help me to uh, do a good job this morning. I pray Holy Spirit as you were with us and we knew you with us as we worshipped. I pray Holy Spirit for your presence right now. Lord what we're looking at this morning isn't just a matter of words. It's not about acquiring a bit more knowledge. Lord, it's about encountering you. It's about knowing your spirit at work in our lives. It's about your power being shed abroad in our hearts 
It's about us grasping something of your great love for us. And I ask you, Lord God, by the power of your Spirit, would you come and have your way with us? In Jesus' name. Amen. First point then is love in. Love in. And the second thing, if we get to it, will be love out. Love worked out. The, the, the first bit, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14, we see is a prayer. Paul is praying for the church at Ephesus. The two and a half chapters before this prayer, Paul has been communicating some of the most wonderful truths communicated anywhere in the Bible. He has has written out this amazing statement, all these spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. How much God loves us. How we've been chosen in Him. How we've been forgiven all our sins. How God is passionately for us. How once we were dead in our sin, but now we're alive in Christ Jesus. And for about two and a half chapters, Paul is just going for it. He's just writing one wonderful truth after another. He's just communicating glorious truths. It's probably some of the most magnificent scripture in the Bible, if you can say such a thing those first two and a half chapters of Ephesians. The three chapters starting at chapter four after what we're going to look at are practical exhortation. He's he's saying to the church, this is how you need to live now. Now you've received all of this, this is how you need to live now. But these few verses we're going to look at now, they're not wonderful truth to be grasped, although, although they are a bit, They're not practical exhortation for something to do, although they are a bit. But it's Paul's passionate prayer for the church at Ephesus. He is praying for the church at Ephesus. It actually says, he says, my father who I bow before. It's interesting, he's, he's taking a posture of kneeling as he prays speaks, I believe, of a reverence and earnestness. God, would you answer this prayer? And what is it he prays? He says, I pray that out... I mean, this prayer is rich. It's such a good prayer. I would recommend you use this prayer for yourself. It's it's brilliant. I pray that out of his glorious riches... Whose riches? God's riches. Is he rich? Does he lack anything? Okay. So he lacks nothing, so out of his lacking of nothing, he is praying that he will strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Paul is praying, and this is how the message puts it, for a glorious inner strength. Put your hand up if you would like a glorious inner strength. I know there are times when I want a glorious inner strength. That is what Paul is praying for. He is praying that we would, let's, let's say it again, let's go through it again. Apologies for me repeating myself, but I'm a bit slow and I'm preaching, so you've just got to, you've got to go at my pace. He is praying that you will be strengthened. Santino, we pray we want you strengthened with power through the Spirit in your inner being. He is praying that Santino will be stronger in God. That Santino will be strengthened with power in his inner being. When you receive power, 
you can do more than you could do before you receive power. Isn't that right? When you receive power, something changes. If you are as powerful as I, you could do all the things I can do with my great strength. There's no need to laugh, you do not know. It's craftily designed and hidden. When you've got power, you can do something different. Can't you? If you're as weak as Matt, you're limited in what you can achieve. If you're stronger, like Skulks, you can do more. But if you have my mighty strength, that's it. Nothing can stop me. But no, I'm joking, but it's, it's, it's true. If you look around, there will be people of different strengths, of different powers. Paul is praying that we would, out of God's glorious riches, would know something of God's power and strength at work in us. Not something intellectual. Oh yes, I know God's strong and I know he's powerful. And actually I know that he wants to make me more powerful. Good, I've I've arrived at the end of the journey. If that's as far as you get, you haven't received the full extent of everything that God has got for you, which is to experience that power and to know that power at work in your life. Power, strength, spirit. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, if you've got your Bibles, turn to it. These words won't come up on the screen. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. Paul is talking to the church at Corinth. He says this, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's... But with a demonstration of the Spirit's... That's better. Well done. So that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's, on God's power. Now I believe what Paul is saying there is that when he planted the church in, in Corinth, he did plant it with signs, wonders, miracles and healings. It's, it's there. If you read the book of Corinthians, you know that they did healings, they did miracles. The supernatural was there. But I wonder as well if Paul had in mind that when he preached the Gospel, the Holy Spirit came in such a way that he made it live in their hearts. Something changed. Something happened on the inside. They had a connection with the truth that went beyond their heads to their hearts. Amen? And as a church, we must not settle for just obtaining more and more knowledge. Knowledge is good. We need our intellects and we need our brains engaged. Let me encourage you, study the Word of God. Be earnest in it. But we don't just want to be students of the Word. We we want to be um, students of God who experience walking with Him. When Jesus came and he went to his first disciples, he didn't, say, come, he didn't say, come and study the Old Testament and find out all about God. He said, come and follow me. Come and experience something of what it is to walk with God incarnate. God with flesh on. Come and see the miracles. Come and have a go at them yourself. Come and know something of God's love invading your heart as I know that love. There's a curious statement at the end of these verses. It says this, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Why is Paul writing a letter to the church at Ephesus 
And the fact that it's a church means that it's full of Christians. And if you're a Christian, then Christ dwells in your heart. Is that right? You're united to Christ, aren't you? When you become a Christian, you get united with Him. Why is he praying so that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith, if they've already received it, which they clearly have? Charles Hodge says, the indwelling of Christ is a thing of degrees. Now, I don't know if I quite agree with that, but I think what he's trying to say is that there is an experiential um, walk with Christ that we're to experience in our hearts. We have been united with Christ. We are seated within heavenly places and yet there is an ongoing walk with Christ that we should experience on a daily basis. If you go to John chapter 15, it talks about something very similar to that. It says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Remain in me. Let my words remain in you. You will bear much fruit. There is an ongoing remaining and bearing with. Paul is praying that his readers will be fortified, um, braced, invigorated, that they may lay, and may lay hold ever more firmly by faith of this divine strength, this divine indwelling. For some of you here today, your Christian walk has come down to attendance on a Sunday, maybe the odd prayer, and you know nothing of what I'm talking about. You, you did know, but you've, you've forgotten what it's like to be in a relationship with Jesus Christ. To know his presence. To know his power. To know his peace. And his joy. Christianity is to be lived out. Not to be studied from afar. It's to be experienced. That word dwell used in um, Ephesians 3, where is it? It says that Christ may dwell in your hearts. There's so, so cleverer men than me tell me, because I was reading about it, so I certainly didn't study it myself, but it says there's two words for dwell used in the New Testament. One word dwell has a much weaker meaning to it and it talks about um, being inhabited as a stranger or maybe a temporary lodger staying in the residence. But that's not the one that's used here. The word dwell that means here is like a master in his home. This is where he lives. This is the head of his household. And Paul is praying that Christ will dwell in your hearts through faith. When we became Christians, we didn't just get a saviour, we got a Lord as well. For us to walk with him, to be with him, for him to shape our lives. And then he goes on and he says this, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and deep, I'm missing out, long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. And I pray 
that you being rooted and established in love. There are two two interesting phrases. Rooted is an organic phrase. It's like a tree that is rooted in soil. And what Paul is saying is, I'm praying because you are rooted in love. You are rooted into Christ. You have been planted into him. But then he also says established, which is a construction uh, uh, phrase, and that is more structural. It's about buildings. It's like you would establish a building on firm foundations and the soil the foundations are dug into is love. And what he's saying is, you Christians, you saints, you holy ones, you have been rooted, you have been established in? Whose love? God's love. Christ's love for you. This is where you stand. This is what has happened In Romans 5, verse 8, it says, and uh, I'll probably flip through these quite quickly. Let's have a look at this love that we have been rooted into. But God, Romans 5, verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If you want to know something about the love God has for you, the love that you are rooted and established in, it's that love that sent his son to die on the cross for your sins. That's something about that love that God loves you with. If you want to know, is it, is it a bit fickle? May he change his mind? May he get a bit bored with you? No. This love that he loves you with is the love that sent his son to die on the cross for you because you are so precious to him. A great exchange took place. Jesus Christ took all of your offence, all your rebellion, all your hatred, all your guilt. It was all removed in Jesus Christ. And do you know what you got in his place? You got all of Christ's forgiveness, all of his favour, all of his righteousness and all of his love flooded into your heart. That's the exchange that took place. Do you want to know God's love for you? That's just a measure, that's just one measure of God's great love for you that you have been rooted and established in. What? Let me ask a question though. What are you building your life on? Are you building it on God's great love? Or maybe the foundation you're building on is self-sufficiency. You know, I've accepted Christ as my saviour, but you know, I'm pretty together. Any other foundation, any other foundation than God's great love will let you down in the end. If you are in Romans chapter 5, let's have another look at, aspect, look at another aspect of God's love. Let's turn to Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. This love, this love that you are rooted and you are grounded into is eternal. It is all-powerful. It cannot be broken. It cannot crumble away beneath you. The most powerful things that exist in the earth cannot 
separate you from the love of God. Time, the past, the present or the future will not separate you from the love of God because God is for you. That's a measure, his love, it's eternal. That's the love you are rooted and grounded into. Let me ask you, what are you building your life upon? Is it the love of God? Or is it words? Is it actions that maybe have undermined your life in the past? Things people have said about you in the past or things people have done to you in the past and you're still, in a sense, you're building your... It's a bit like this. Oh, my age, you shouldn't do it, you know. (laughs) Yeah, we won't do that. Anyway, you get, you get the picture. Like this. You're building your life. That's it. You're building your life on two foundations, two levels. You've got, you've got the love of Christ, but actually part of you is still very much affected by, still very much affected by things that happened to you in the past. Things people said over you, and they, they shape you more than the fact that you are rooted and established in God's love. One last Bible verse and we'll move on swiftly. 1 John chapter 3. The reason I'm picking just some of these verses out is because I want to communicate to you what the Bible says about God's great love. 1 John chapter 3, towards the end of the Bible, just looking at verse 1. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God and that is what we are. Isn't that wonderful? See, the love that we are rooted and established in It's not the love that a master would have to a slave or the love a master would have to an employee or even the love a a person would have to a friend. It's the love a father has to a child. How great... Paul's saying, oh no, Johnny wrote that, saying, how great, it's a question, how great is the love that God has lavished upon you? How great is it? How great? It's very great, isn't it? That we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. We're adopted, we're brought right in. We're not held at a distance. There isn't a time when, when God will say, oh no, no, I know you're praying now and generally I encourage that sort of thing, but I'm just too busy and really I'm a bit sick of your voice. No. There isn't a time when God will, will hold you back. There isn't a time when he's not interested in you. He is passionate for you. Matt said it, didn't he? About the prodigal son and the father waiting and although the son had done so much to offend the father and had pretty much said, I wish you were dead, give me my half of the estate, give me my half of the inheritance. The father was waiting and watching when he saw he came, he ran and gave him a massive hug and held a party and it's something and he said, and Jesus said, this is a reflection of the father's love for you. 
It's wonderful, this. Something we can get happy about. Yeah? Something we can enjoy and revel in. It's this sort of stuff that fuels our worship. May cause you to raise your hands or jump up and down a bit or even, even cheer at times because God loves you. And it's an unconditional love. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints. And you know, I want you to know this love, Paul says, just like all the other Christians in um, Corinth and Rome and Antioch, they, they know this love, they know this love, they've grasped the uh, majesty of this love, they know the width of this love, they know the length of this love, they know the height of it and the depth of this love. Although it surpasses knowledge, they know something of this love and guess what, I'm praying that you would know something of that love as well, not just in here, but in here. Because what's going on in here changes how you live. It affects how you view work. It affects how things go with the family. It affects how you pray. It affects um, uh, how how you view circumstances. When your football team loses on a Saturday afternoon, you can even rejoice at that time as well. Why? Because you've got the love of the Father in your heart. Paul wants them to grasp it. Have you ever been in in the sales, shopping? There's one left on the shelf. And you can see it at a distance. I want that. I'm going to grasp it. I'm going to grab hold of it. I'm not a very strong swimmer. God's designed me to sink rather than float, I think. And sometimes when you've swum and swum and swum and you feel, you know, like that far, and you feel you can't go on any further, you grab for the edge. And you jolly better make sure you grab hold of it. Paul wants, Paul wants him to grab hold, to know the love of God that surpasses knowledge. Some of the sort of poetic theologians of the past era sort of tried to uh, give um, uh, further weight to the description of God's love. And this is what they said. They said, when Paul talks about the width of God's love, he's talking about all peoples, all people groups, from every background, every cultural background, God loves them. God has space for them. God loves them. He loves all peoples, all backgrounds. That's something of the breadth of God's love. When he talks about the length of God's love, he's talking about the fact from ages past to ages future, God's love will never let go. There's never been a time when God has not been interested in saving a people for himself and lavishing his love upon them. There's never been a time. When he talks about the height of God's love, he's saying that God's love will not fall short just before glory. It's going to take us right the way through the finishing tape. There's something about the height. It's strong enough to get us there. And the depth of God's love. There isn't anyone beyond his grasp. There isn't anyone that he cannot reach down to pick out. It says in that great hymn, the vilest offender who truly believes that moment in Jesus, a pardon 
receives. And they can experience the love of God invading their hearts just as you and me. They may be on the doors at the gates of death about to go to hell and God can snatch them out because God's love is powerful. And he says, church, I want you to know that love. I want you to, I want you to know the full extent of my love for you. I want it to invade your heart in a way that maybe it hasn't done for quite a while. Not just up here, but coming down and touching here. Paul prays that along with all the saints, they may have what? To grasp the love of God. Power to grasp the love of God. There is an understanding element, there is a knowledge part, but it goes beyond that. We need to lay hold with our minds to know and understand, to comprehend the love of God, but he goes on to describe a knowledge which is gained by and grounded in personal experience. Do you know the love of God in your personal experience? Good. That's good. Let me ask the rest of you. Do you know the love of God in your personal experience? Do you enjoy Him on a daily basis? Do you know fresh waves of His grace and mercy flooding upon you? Because He loves you. And because we can know by the power of the Holy Spirit His grace and power coming upon us again and again and again. There are saints here today who have experienced great difficulty and hard times and yet I know they have experienced the love of God come upon them in fresh ways beyond what they would have expected because our God is able and our God loves. This isn't just an intellectual thing that is only as good as our circumstances allow. This is a thing that goes beyond our circumstances. It is grace for the most difficult circumstance. The most difficult uh, trials and things that we face, the love of God is stronger than, can hold us, will not let us go and will take us to eternity if that's where the bad circumstances lead us to. His love is able. And that's why it's hope for a world that does not have hope. Because it's not just a feel-good love. It's not just a feel-good gospel. When things go well, will you come and join us? Because we sing happy songs. No, when things are bad, you come and join us because we know something of the love of God that is stronger than death. Stronger than death. Death cannot separate us from the love of God. And and, And it's funny, this is... It goes on to say that we can know this love that surpasses knowledge. How can you know that? Now some of the commentators I was reading, and by the way they are much cleverer than me, but in this I think they were daft. (laughs) When they get to this bit, he says, well actually you can't really know the love of God till you're in glory. And I think there's an element of truth. Do you know we're going to spend eternity enjoying the love of God and exploring it? But Paul wouldn't be praying for it for the church now if he didn't have an expectation we could enjoy the love of God in an experiential way now. We're to enjoy his love now and enjoy his goodness and his grace in good times and bad. 
The uh, English Standard Version Study Bible says this, to know what surpasses knowledge is the sublime privilege of the Christian. The purpose is to be the purpose is to be purpose is to be ultimately filled. The purpose is to be ultimately filled with God's fullness. We will spend eternity enjoying God's grace and his love, but he wants us to explore it now as well. He wants us to enjoy it now. And for some of you it's dry. Your Christian faith has just lost its way a bit. You've lost connection with the head. This morning, in a moment, you can put that right. You can say, Lord, I'm sorry for that. Lord, please forgive me. For not giving you the time and the space that you require, that you deserve that, that I want to give. I pray would you flood me again with your grace and power. You can pray like Paul prayed. Lord, would I experience and know your love in fresh ways? Some of you are facing circumstances where you need to know that love. And this morning you can encounter him. I didn't, get on, I didn't get on to chapter 4, I didn't think I would. In the past, I've encountered God, God's love in a number of ways. I've encountered God's love as I've read the Bible. I've read it and, and I, I, God's just highlighted something to me, it's come alive to me and I've known God's love in a fresh way. I've experienced God's love as I've read Um, commentaries on the Bible, particularly Martin Lloyd-Jones, let me recommend him to you. He's written a number of commentaries on the book of Romans and the book of Ephesians. I think there's 14 books in all on those two books he's written. But as I've read it, suddenly I've seen something that I have not seen before. I've seen it in a fresh way and I've known the love of God and the pleasure of God invade me in, in a fresh way. I've experienced the love of God as others have prayed for me. When I was baptised in the Holy Spirit as an 18-year-old, I experienced the love of God in a fresh way. When Julian Adams was here three or four weeks ago, on the Saturday morning, I experienced God's love in a completely different way than I had before. God met with me and he's changed stuff inside of me, in my heart. There was an experience, a power of God's love. I've experienced the love of God over a prolonged period of time and in a rush. I've found God has met me in different ways in different seasons of life. So I'm not saying there's only one way, but be hungry and thirsty to know God. Don't settle for something intellectual. Don't settle for a God who's far away. He's waiting to embrace. He's waiting to run and for you to experience his grace and his mercy afresh and in verse 20 it says this just in case you didn't know that God is for you it says this now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us 
that promise isn't just applicable 2,000 years ago when Paul wrote it, it's applicable now. We come to a God who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. You know, and I would imagine that you can, so I would imagine that you can imagine some pretty wacky and big things in God. God is able to surpass that. According to his power, that is at work within you. Let's stand up. Can I have the band back, please? No, just, actually, just Alid. That'd be great, thanks. Just right to strum your guitar. Just as we close, and we, we haven't got long as we close, just, just a few moments, but I'd love to close by praying for you to experience God's love. And there might be some of you that feel really dry and thirsty this morning. You know, you know that this, what I've been talking about, has particular um, reference to you. I'd ask you at the end as we finish to come forward and we would love to pray for you and talk with you about God's love. For some of you here today, you, you just don't know Christ at all. This maybe is your first or an early visit that you've just had to the church and you think, but cool, would I like to meet this Jesus? Come at the end and I'd love to explain more about what it is to know Jesus Christ and to have your sins forgiven. He's a good God. If you feel comfortable too, why don't you raise your hands? Let's pray, Lord God, for your presence and your grace right now. Lord, we say as a church we're thirsty for you. We're thirsty to experience fresh waves of your grace and your love in our lives. Lord, whether it's this week as we read your word, I, I pray, Lord, would we experience your love in tangible and real ways. Something that comes in our inner self and we just know, wow, I'm loved by God. For others, I pray even this morning that we would know your love just sweeping in. As Claire sang out so beautifully, you're standing at the door and knocking. The door's open. And it's saying, come and meet with me. Come and experience my love and my grace. For others of you, you, you just need to give yourself to the Word of God. It starts in the head, moves to the heart by the power of the Holy Spirit and gets worked out in our lives by our hands as we serve and as we love one another, as we express the love that we have received. Holy Spirit, would you come and reveal the Father's love for us again? Why don't we just sing out to him, raise our voices to him in tongues or in English, give him the glory and the praise.